0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. I'm Darren Hefty.
1: And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about fall nitrogen. But if you've got any questions about anything that's going on in your farm or fall nitrogen, we'd be happy to visit with you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, so when it comes to fall nitrogen, uh, I'll just start you off with a few things that we've always talked about in the past. First of all, cation exchange capacity is huge. What we're talking about there is the holding capacity of your soil. If you're not in your soil test measuring cation exchange capacity, I highly encourage you to do it. Because otherwise what happens is I'll ask ask a guy, all right, what's your cation exchange capacity or CEC? And they'll say, well, I don't know, but I have heavy ground. Okay, well, heavy means something totally different to one person versus another. Or light ground means something totally different from one person to another. So I I would just say we need that CEC number so we're all on the same page and we have a good idea how much nitrogen your soil can hold. So usually what we do is take 10 times your CEC. That's your total holding capacity of your soil for nitrogen. So let's say, like on our farm, we average probably a 20 so 20 times 10 means I can hold about 200 pounds of nitrogen at any one point. Now, the next thing is I highly encourage you to test your soil on a very regular basis, if not every year. Here's why. So this year we had surprisingly good corn on some of our ground. Our guys right now are working on some that's averaging 250 plus. And we had almost no rain and we had a little hail. <laughs> and I'm like, where in the world this yield come from? It's amazing. Here's where I'm going with this. So we've tested in the field that our, our guys are in right now. And the average amount of nitrogen that's left sitting there right now today is over 100 pounds. I got 100 pounds of N coming off of that big time corn yield. Well, I shouldn't say big time, but good corn yield. 100 pounds is sitting there. We're late in the season on heavy soil. So am I worried about losing it into next year? No. So I can save money into next year putting on less nitrogen now that I know I have that much in the soil. But anyway, to finish up on this can I exchange capacity thing, so let's say I got a 200 for holding capacity on nitrogen, 20 CEC times 10 is 200. But if I've already got 100 pounds out there, then don't put more than 100 pounds in addition on, okay? So I, that's the total holding capacity, not how much you can apply in any one time. That's how much your soil can hold roughly. Now, it's not exact, but that'll just at least get you in the general ballpark, okay? So, the first thing is you're limited by how much nitrogen your soil already has. Then the next thing is a lot of people ask us about stabilizers. In the fall, I'm a pretty big believer in stabilizers. If you're going to apply a low rate right in season, like literally when the crop is going to use the nitrogen, you don't need to spend your money on nitrogen stabilizers. But if you're putting it on in the fall, I think it's a really good idea. On top of that, soil temp is huge. So, if we're, if let's say we were putting our nitrogen on in September, I would worry a lot about loss. When we're putting our nitrogen on in late October or early November, right before the ground freezes up and the soil temp is really cold, I'm not too worried about loss before spring. And then the final thing that I would say, just to start off the show here, is the earlier you plant in the spring, the better off you are in terms of not losing that nitrogen you put on in the fall. Here's what I mean. We usually plant in the spring as the frost is coming out of the ground. And that's what I typically will advise you to do. As long as it's past the first plant date for the crop you're raising. Anyway, I if I do that, then I'm going to reach crop canopy faster. And I'm also going to use up that nitrogen faster. If I delay my planting, let's say I decide, you know what, I could plant April 10th, but instead I'm going to plant May 25th because I'm raising silage corn and I just want the corn to get taller and raise more tons. So I'm just going to go May 25th. Well, if that's the case, there's no possible chance I'm going to advise you to put nitrogen on in the fall because you got all that time in April and May where the nitrogen can leach out, it can get used up by weeds. Uh, just something bad can happen. Nothing good's going to come out of that. So, if you want to plant late in the spring, don't put nitrogen on in the fall. Oh, I guess there is one one last thing I should say. Don't put it on in the floodplain in the fall. So, if there's a chance that your ground's going to flood out this fall, this winter, or next spring. Just save the nitrogen until you are 100% sure you need it in the spring. And even then, I'd really spoon feed it on that type of ground. So we have river bottom ground too. Now, granted, we haven't, we've barely had rain in a year and a half. So I'm much less concerned about it this year than I normally would be. But usually, we got a fair amount of water down there, water tables high, and we're three inches away from a flood at any point. So, we're not at that today. It'd take 10 inches for us to flood out today, and we've never had a rain that big in the history of our state. So... Anyway, I, I'm just saying here, you got to use your, your head a little bit. Be smart about where you're putting your nitrogen, especially if you're going to use it in the fall. So we'll talk about nitrogen in the fall and fall applications of nitrogen throughout the show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All
0: right. I uh, get one from Kelly here who watching one of our clips from 2013 online. He said, you guys made a comment about getting back to normal weather. Uh, what would make you think that we're going to? Weather's changing everywhere in the world and we as farmers need to think about this being proactive instead of always being reactive. You know, that's, that's a, a nice comment, Kelly, about uh, being proactive. I totally agree with you. We want to be proactive as much as we can, but we know for sure we're going to have to react a little bit through the year. If you start planning for an average year, you can go either way. You can, hey, it's drier, we can change something, or it's wetter, we can change something. For us, we normally plan on the worst-case scenario is we're not going to get rain, And so we try to do what we can to to build fertility levels get them down deep in the soil get our root system growing deep early in the year because it's not going to be a negative for us even if it's a wet year that's fine but if it's a dry year boy getting those deep roots really helps us so that's one of the big things that we'll do and then we do focus on plant health regardless of what kind of year that we get so we can try to be proactive and ahead of things reducing the stress on our crop as much as we can Hey, thanks for checking out our clip. Yeah, I don't know what the weather's going to be. Hot, dry, cold, wet, whatever. Doesn't matter. You're right. we got to be proactive as much as we can. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio.
2: proactive effective weed resistance management starts in the fall get a clean start for your next season with valor herbicide brands always read and follow label directions
0: your schedule can change by the minute making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information but at agphd we have some good news for you if you miss an episode of agphd tv or radio you can catch up at agphd.com with years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming AgPHD PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com.
1: Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com.
3: Get an extra semi load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more.
2: Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
0: back you're listening to ag phd radio we're broadcasting from the morton studio today and even though it's a little bit early yet we're talking about fall nitrogen and talking about what you need so you have some time to get ready for that uh get our friend kelly garrett who farms in western iowa on with us right now also kelly's part of the extreme ag group Uh, kelly thanks for joining us
4: you bet darren how's it going
0: well, good, good. Brian was just saying how short to rain we are and how we never have gotten a single rainfall event that would be enough to, to fill us back up. It's going to take multiple ones, but that seems to be one of the worries you guys have is, what if I put on nitrogen earlier than I need to, like say a fall application or very early spring application, and I get a bunch of rain? Do you worry about that on your farm, or, or how are you dealing with this uh, early application and nitrogen issue?
4: We, uh... We're gonna we're gonna use a new product or a newer product from Ag Explorer called Endzone Max, and to stabilize the nitrogen. And I was concerned about how dry it was, but a week or so ago we had an inch and seven tenths of rain, and I I think we're really good right now. Um, you know, it it I really believe in fall nitrogen over spring. Darren, I know people talk about which way to go, but throughout my farming career, fall applied nitrogen is better for me yield-wise than spring applied.
0: Okay, so you've got some tough conditions where you farm. you got hilly ground, you've got variable soils. I know for my brother, too, he likes to get some N out there early, and you can sure add to that if you want to, Brian, but uh, he likes to get N out early in case we get dry, because if we put it on late, we just can't get it into the plants if we if we're yep. putting it on too late when it's dry weather uh is that your same thing that you're seeing or why do you think the fall is working better
4: i i think it takes a while for it to convert over to be plant available i guess you know that microbial system you know in in the soil i think it takes a while to do that i uh, to become available and i think sometimes you know like we use we're using anhydrous you know uh in our area and i think that it's you know, I, I don't like this part of it, but it's hard on soil biology. And if we put it on in the fall, that soil biology is starting to get healed up or it's back to normal again when we come back to spring. Whereas if we put it on spring, I think it damages the biology.
0: You know, I know for for us in the past, too, with anhydrous, in the spring, if we could get anhydrous on and inject that deep enough and have the soil be fit, we felt like we should have been planting already. So I know that's one of the things too, that putting it on in the fall, the soil conditions are more conducive to, to doing that type of application and putting it on deep.
4: Absolutely. And then, you know, like you talk about my variable soils, we variable rate our anhydrous. Uh, in a high yielding spot, we're only putting on 140 pounds of anhydrous. In a low yielding spot, we're putting on 240 pounds. And depending on the field, we're probably averaging 180 to 190 pounds overall, but we're trying to put it where we need it.
0: Yeah, that's an important thing. And I think getting the most out of any fertility input, if you can figure out where you need it, that's going to be a real key. So you're looking at this year's yield map, or are you looking at historical yield maps, or are you looking at something else?
4: Uh, it, you know, a historical, I would say a blend of this year's versus a historical because if there's a problem in some area, maybe that's a low yielding area for some external problem that isn't historical wise. So that needs to be taken into consideration. I, When we first started doing that, the agronomist that talked to me about that, I thought that was crazy. It seemed like it was backwards. He said in a high yielding no-till system, There's at least 100 pounds of elemental nitrogen there, and you don't need that. Take that to where you don't have the organic matter, and that's why we put the higher rate there. We did a stock nitrate test that fall, and the high-yielding areas had higher nitrates than the low-yielding areas, and I've never looked back. Wow.
0: Yeah, you've got to do the tests on your farm. You've got to do the measurements. Otherwise, it's hard to know exactly how this is going to work. We're talking with Kelly Garrett here in western Iowa, also part of the Extreme Ag Group, about fall nitrogen. And Kelly likes it, so I thought that'd be a great way to start the show. Let's start with somebody that's going to speak positively about fall in. And, you know, it, it does get a lot of bad press out there, Kelly. The the non-farmers are worried, man, we're, we're not using this stuff judiciously. Obviously, they haven't priced nitrogen yet. <laughs> Because <laughs> if they knew how much this stuff costs, they know we can't afford. We can't even afford what yeah. we need hardly.
4: I, absolutely. It's so expensive. And hydrous is the cheapest cost per unit. That's why we still use it. And that's why we variable rate it. I don't want to waste it at all. I want to put it where I'm going to use it. And that's, that's the whole idea behind the variable rate and okay. the whole idea about using the end zone.
0: All right, talk to us about manure and, uh, and the other uh, fertility inputs that, that you'll use. What do you see for nitrogen out of that? And are you worried about losing that as much as you are about commercial anhydrous?
3: No, I'm, I'm
4: not uh, because it's in the more stable form. It's ammonium, you know, and it has to convert over. I'm not as worried about that. But I worry more about my sulfur leaching than I do my nitrogen, and nobody talks about that. The nitrogen, that's one of the things about fall applied to nitrogen. Everybody thinks it leaches away and it's gone and we're affecting the groundwater or we're going to lose it. It's not going to be there for yield. And again, I don't believe mine is leaching because of the stabilizer we're using and the variable rate technology. And year in and year out, fall applied in is a better yielding uh, nutrient for me than spring applied in.
0: Interesting. So the sulfur, so you're not putting sulfur out in the fall. When are you putting the sulfur out? Is that all going out at planting time and in season?
4: I would like to put the sulfur out in the spring. I do have to put some out in the fall just the amount to get the work done. But, uh, you know, and that's in that plant food product that we, you know, the byproduct that we spray. And I, sulfur is a soil amendment first and a nutrient second. And I worry that when I get it out too early in the fall, I worry that I, I'm losing some of the bang for the buck. But I've got to put some out in the fall to get it all done.
0: All right. How about residue breakdown? We we talked to a lot of growers that say I'm definitely going to throw out 25 pounds, 50 pounds, in just for residue breakdown on top of the ground. Are you doing some of that too?
4: We tried that, and we don't. We we think we're wasting money on the end. We don't think it works. There's several. You know, you, you have a product at Hefty Naturals that we're going to try. That Decomp. The name was escaping me. Decomp, uh, residue RX from Concept Agrotech, Meltdown we we uh accomplish and uh from Ag- there's a product from Agerson. we extract extract from regus that was I was getting tongue tied there it all of those products are things that we want to put out in the fall to try to manage the residue. You know, we're combining some irrigated ground right now. It's making 300 bushel and it looks like a carpet out here. And how am I going to get the beans to grow there? And if I don't do something with this residue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you that residue management is going to be a big deal. But I talked to a farmer this morning, Southeast South Dakota, and he said uh, he had a, a field that was half corn, half soybeans from last year. And he wanted to get it all the same crop and he was going to put soybeans in it. And he went no till into the corn stalks they were worried about dry and he goes man even though i didn't have the greatest emergence and it wasn't fast emerging like uh, where he had had the soybean ground he said it end up yielding more so it, there's something i don't know there's something going on out there it was just kind of interesting i i heard a lot of complaints about residue this year and residue management and it seemed like guys still still got some pretty good yields out of those fields
4: uh, the bean yields have been very surprising they're great
0: so with there, nitrogen there. and beans, that's the other question with this. Are you only putting that anhydrous on corn ground? Or are you putting any fall in on ahead of soybeans?
4: No, we, uh, we did do that in 2017 on some irrigated ground. Uh, the beans turned out to be very well, do very well, but that isn't a practice that we've adopted widely. You know, we'll spray some foliars. We'll put some stuff through the drip irrigation, things like that, but no nitrogen on the, on the soybeans.
0: Well, it's going to be interesting. I always enjoy chatting with you, Kelly, because you guys are always trying things and you keep records so you know what works and what doesn't work. And I can imagine with, uh, with all the voices in your household and everybody's going to have their own <laughs> ideas, uh, that's going to come in pretty valuable to keep track of these things going forward.
4: Yes, a lot of trials going on. It's amazing what we've learned this year. I'm so excited.
0: Awesome. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for sharing a little bit. Uh, Where can we find out more about you? I know you guys are posting stuff online, and you've got a pretty nice social presence.
4: Yeah, you know, I I have my Twitter account, KellyJGarrett75, I think it is. We've got uh, the Extreme Ag Facebook page. We've got the Extreme Ag uh, website, and, of course, Extreme Ag's on Twitter as well.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. Really appreciate it. Stay safe here the rest of this fall.
4: Thanks, Darren. Have a good day.
0: You bet. Talking about fall nitrogen on our show today. We're also taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show. 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone line. And, of course, you can always email us, too, radio at agphd.com. We just kind of dug into the Ag PhD mailbag a little earlier on the show, but we got a pile of questions here we'll try and get through today, too. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. what's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for
1: soybeans, field corn and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we
3: mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall.
1: nothing waits for a farmer not the weather the banker the crops it's never at a farmer's convenience so when it comes to crop protection savings programs how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate don't wait for rebates get the true choice offer from corteva agriscience for instant upfront savings on crop protection products ask your local pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the true choice offer from corteva but
2: don't wait
0: you're listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton Studio today talking about fall nitrogen. Always a big topic, especially in the north as soil temperatures start cooling down, we hear a lot about well, I guess we're safe now. Soil temperatures are on the way down, we our chances of losing it in frozen ground. Uh, are fairly slim so we talk about fall nitrogen as as the temperatures start to cool off so we've been abnormally warm we've been in the 70s we've been even in the 80s and I know talking to growers putting grain in the bins boy they're used to cooler temperatures by now and I wonder what that's going to do with fall nitrogen application too. likely push that back a little bit Uh, over in Montana at Montana State we've got Clayne Jones with us right now how are you doing today
5: I'm doing pretty well, looking outside at about four inches of uh, fresh snow.
0: Really? Well, see, there you go. Now, you aren't going to be complaining that it's too warm. Uh, so, <laughs> when when you think about fall nitrogen, and I, I think about states like Montana and the Dakotas and Minnesota and Wisconsin, we get cold. We know that ground's going to be frozen for a long time. So, how safe are we putting in out there, especially as we get to 40-degree soil temps and less? So,
5: you what? Probably you're talking specifically about urea and the potential for volatilization. Is that correct?
0: Well, any form of loss. And, and I know gotcha. a lot of growers historically had talked about anhydrous for fall application. We just had one on uh, just before you here talking about fall anhydrous in in Iowa. And anhydrous just isn't super widely available all over. How about in Montana? Is anhydrous still being used? Almost
5: none. So. About 90, 95% of our end goes on as urea. It's uh, the dominant fertilizer here. So we do worry mainly about volatilization because it's urea, and we worry less about leaching and denitrification because we're in a basically you know, 12 to 16-inch rainfall zone.
0: So you've got a lot of growers that like to do no-till, so that that urea ends up on top of the ground, and that certainly adds risk compared to if you're putting it underneath the soil surface. What are the strategies that growers will use then? I, I would assume nitrogen stabilizers and slow release in?
5: So yeah, quite quite a variety. My colleague Rick Engel found we lose about 20% of our urea that's broadcast applied on no-till um, which is you know, a significant economic loss and often ends up being a yield or, or protein loss. So we lose quite a bit of nitrogen to the atmosphere. And since that study, uh, producers have often shifted their timing to spring where we get bigger rainfalls and that pushes the urea down into the ground. Some people mid-row um, apply it subsurface, but not many have the equipment do that. So some buy some sort of urease inhibitor like an NBPT type product. So it's a variety of things, mainly watching the weather. If we can get our urea down right before, say, half an inch of precipitation, we find we lose almost nothing to the air.
0: You know, the protein loss is one. I know I know exactly what you mean because we've had a number of growers, uh, especially in, in uh, North Dakota and Montana wheat areas, talking about that, that, man, what can we do to get the protein better? And a lot of the studies are showing if you've got good nitrogen availability late in the season, you can have better protein. So that that's a good deal if we can shift practices to get get a better response from our crop. But, man, 20% loss at today's nitrogen prices, that is a significant economic loss.
5: It is, and it surprised us because those applications were going on in November when soil temperatures and air temperatures were pretty cool, but then it just sat there because we get almost no precipitation in November, so it sat there slowly volatilizing to the atmosphere.
0: All right. So what happens? You mentioned you got four inches of fresh snow. So what happens when you get that snowfall? Let's just say urea had just gotten put on. If you've got warm enough soil now, you've got a good shot of some of that snow melting and pushing it in. Would that be a fair statement?
5: Yeah, it is. You know, this time of year when we get snow, it's it's heavy, it's wet, it's probably 10 to 12 percent moisture. So there was probably a good half an inch in our area of precipitation. Places up north got almost none where they need it. But that half inch of precip probably pushes that urea into the ground and stops volatilization.
0: Hey, one last question for you. We've been soil sampling on our farm and our results on how much nitrogen is still in the soil at the end of the season here, it's been surprising. It's been more than what we had expected, but part of that was due to drought and and yields that maybe weren't quite as good as we had hoped for, or maybe more mineralization with a hot season. What are you seeing in Montana right now? Are you seeing any early soil tests coming back?
5: You know what? Not so far this year, but I have in past drought years, and it's very consistent that in drought years, we have higher soil nitrate going into fall. So to me, soil testing becomes even more important because we need to know, do we have high levels? And if so, how much can we back off? So we are also seeing high nitrate after drought. Yep.
0: Yep. That's great. I I love hearing that. Just to uh, just to hear, all right, what you're seeing, we're seeing the same thing. That really confirms a lot of the the thoughts I've had, too. Uh, talking with Clayne Jones in, at Montana State. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it, and and uh, hopefully the snow goes away soon and you get a little longer fall. Thanks.
5: Talk you to bet. you later.
0: You bet. Let's see okay. It. Let's head down a little further south. I know we haven't got snow yet in Missouri, and we got our friend Brooks uh, down in Missouri on right now. How's it going, Brooks? it's going well you're right there's no snow it's 80 degrees and sunshiny
3: here today so no snow in the forecast
0: doesn't that scare you a little bit though to hear man places are already getting snow up north that's that's not a good sign for us
3: (laughs) yeah well you know we this year we haven't gotten any very much moisture at all so it doesn't surprise me the other places are getting snow, but yeah, I don't think we're gonna get any at all, so we'll we'll see
0: all right, so if conditions are dry and you're doing fall in hydrus, what are some of the things that you're concerned about are you just are you gonna have to go a little bit deeper with placement or how do you adjust
3: we will we'll we'll try to get it a little deeper and, and maybe put it on a little heavier um i don't you know I don't know that we we will change that much uh we've we've not really seen that big of a difference between as as dry as it is or as wet as it is uh and and this year is not really an outlier per se it's a little bit drier but i wouldn't say it's it's a drought just yet
0: you know one of the concerns that growers have had this year of course has been the price and availability on some of these fertility products what are you seeing with anhydrous right now uh, is there a significant cost difference between that and and other sources of N? and is supply there where you can get everything you need
3: so we haven't actually started getting much in yet. I don't. I couldn't speak to demand. I've heard that uh, you know, I, the our suppliers said it's going to be expensive. But like I said, we haven't gotten any in to to get rid of it yet. So I, I couldn't talk to demand just yet. I, I do worry about it. You know, with everything else, there's not a lot of anything in the world that doesn't seem like today. So I, I do worry about demand.
0: Yeah, that's. That's something that's probably a little bit early for you yet. When do you normally start applying anhydrous in, in your part of Missouri?
3: There will be people that start probably three weeks from now, and we will get into it probably a little over a month, maybe maybe five weeks, four or five weeks. We'll, we'll really get into it. Um, that's usually about the time we get done combining is the second week in November, and we'll try to hit it pretty hard after that.
0: When, when you're looking at those applications, is there a soil temperature guys are shooting for or what kind of triggers the start? We
3: like to, so our plant doesn't, we don't have in or any, any stabilizers in ours yet. And so we like to keep the ground generally below 50 degrees, uh, you know, just to, to keep it from, to, from leaving so quickly. Uh, last year, I think that there was some places that it might have got, a little warm while we were applying and I think that we saw a yield drag um, and it could be I think directly attributed to the lack of nitrogen.
0: Yep yep it sure could. Uh, all right Brooks last question for you what are yields looking like so far in your area what are you hearing?
3: So on our farm we some of the corn has been surprisingly bad and some of the corn has been surprisingly good i had a, a good friend that sent me some pictures of his yield monitor there the other day and they were astronomically high he was super excited so and i've heard mostly mostly positive yields on corn beans i've I've heard mostly about average uh, there was a few outliers on, on low low yielding corn but i think mostly everyone's been pretty pretty pleased and like i said we there was a few fields where it it was lower than I thought it should be, but in the same field on the other side of the hill, it was a lot higher than it's ever been. So I, I would say all over the place. You know, I, I'm a farmer, so it depends.
0: <laughs> well, if anyone from Chicago is listening, that, what Brooks is saying is terrible, 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 so we need terrible, a little terrible, better price right. here. Hey, Brooks, thank you so much. We'll, uh, we'll talk again.
3: Thank you. Have a good fall.
0: You bet. You too. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the AgPhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal, and the AgPhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play.
3: Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at MortonBuildings.com. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 cornhead with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more. Return more with a Drago Cornhead. For more information on Drago Cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's DragoTec.com.
0: Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free – you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com.
3: No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details.
0: We're talking fall nitrogen application on today's Ag PhD radio show. We're also taking your calls and questions here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, we were talking to Clayne Jones. He's an extension soil fertility specialist with Montana State, and he made a good comment here. No-till and applying nitrogen on top of the ground in dry areas is awfully risky in the fall, unless you know for sure you're going to get some rainfall.
1: Well, putting any nitrogen out in the fall, first of all, is risky. But, Honestly, like on our farm, I'm not putting any form of nitrogen out in the fall other than anhydrous because anhydrous is going to be in the ammonium form shortly after application and ammonium is positively charged. The soil is negatively charged, so it's going to bind to the soil and then it takes a while for that conversion over to nitrate to end up happening. So usually if you apply it late enough in the fall, you're pretty safe, whereas urea, you're going to lose some 28 percent. You're going to lose some if you put much on. With the 28, the only thing that I would say is some guys will use that, some farmers will use that at a low rate in the fall to help speed residue breakdown. And I'm all for that. And that I'm not worried about losing. So let's say, for example, you want to go corn on corn. You got some high carbon residue out there because you had some good corn. So there's lots of, people call it trash, I'll call it residue, laying in the soil surface. If you add nitrogen to that, it will help speed that breakdown. The reason why the breakdown is slow is because The carbon to nitrogen ratio is, I will just term it, out of whack. So you've got lots of carbon for very little nitrogen, and then that's the whole problem. So anyway, I would just say if you want to put some 28% out there in the fall at a low rate, I'm fine with that. But if you start talking 50 gallons or something like that, well, yes, now you're most likely going to lose that. So, no, I'm a big believer in just save your urea, save your 28% for spring. If you want to do fall nitrogen... I'm doing either anhydrous at whatever rate appropriate for my soil or just a little bit of nitrogen in the form of like 28%. Oh, and I guess I could add one more thing. Sometimes you'll get a little nitrogen in blends like MAP or DAP or something like that. No big deal. I'm I'm fine with that. The other question we get with fall nitrogen a lot is how about manure and compost? Well, compost I'm perfectly fine with. The manure... I'd like you to go as late as you can in the fall. And then, here again, let's be sensitive about how much nitrogen you're putting on with that manure. Now, let me talk about manure for just a couple of things here. The nitrogen's the first part. The next part's the salt. Okay, so, I was saying earlier in the show, we got a 20 CECN average on our farm. If you take that times 10, that means we can hold about 200 pounds of N. And that's I'm talking in available today, not in available eventually because a good percentage, a decent percentage in most manure is going to come available over time. It's not available today. What I'm talking about here is what's truly available today. So if we've got nitrogen that is available today, we don't want to be exceeding, like in our farm, that 200 pounds. So let's say, usually coming out of beans, we got 40, 50 pounds there. Let's just say we got 50. So that means 150 pounds of N. I really don't want to put more than 150 pounds of N that's available today out on that field just to be on the safe side. The other thing that I want to throw out is is salt. With salt, it's... It's a killer if you get too much out there. So we often talk about 500 pounds of salt on a per acre basis. And I was talking about this a little bit yesterday in the show too. And I just want to reiterate this because I don't think that for many people dealing with manure, they look at salt as closely as, in my opinion, I think that we all should. So if you are ever getting a manure test, make sure that you're testing salt and don't overdo it. So like when when we have stuff, tests run at Midwest Labs, they'll say 500 pounds of salt on a per acre basis. Over the last 20 years, our liquid manure we've applied has averaged about 65 pounds of salt per 1,000 gallons. So if I divide the 500 by 65, that means I can put about 8 out there. So rounding, about 8,000 gallons roughly. 7,700, I think, is the exact number. But anyway... That's if we have 25 inches of rain or more, which we've only had two or three out of the last 10 years. So what I'm saying is 8,000 gallons for us of liquid dairy manure, that's the max that I should be putting on. And there are a lot of people talking about putting on much, much higher levels. And granted, they might have really, really good yields and heavy soil, and I get all that, but nevertheless, we have to be concerned not just about the nitrogen and the phosphorus that's in that manure, we have to be really concerned about the salt as well. Remember, too, that fertilizer is salt. Fertilizer is salt. So if you start running into salt problems, number one, you got to fix your drainage. That means tile more calcium, keeping that calcium above 65 or even up to 75%, uh, having higher levels of organic matter, reducing compaction. You've got to make sure you have good drainage. And then two, you just got to back off on whatever you're putting out there that contains so darn much salt. And manure and compost are, are pretty big culprits on that. So be careful, be judicious with your applications, especially if you're in a dry year, because too much salt will hurt your crop. All right, what you got next, Aaron?
0: Well, I'm really confused because I got a soil test here, and it almost can't be the soil test that he's referring to. So this one is Mike, and he's uh, he's in... Minnesota, uh, and central Minnesota. And he said he's in a corn soybean rotation, conventional yep. till yep. would like to do some strip till someday. He's a small farmer. Nobody sure. around or him is doing any custom work strip tills. So at this point he's conventional till, uh, he said a few questions. One, uh, he's wondering about putting an anhydrous this fall. Sure. He said he doesn't have a rig, but he's looking for an old anhydrous rig mm-hmm. that he can get cheap, uh, and then try to plant in those strips in the spring. Uh, what would yeah. you think about that approach? Okay. That's the well, first question. All right. Well,
1: first of all, he has really variable soil. He has eight cation exchange capacity all the way up to 30 cation exchange capacity. So my point is, unless you're doing variable rate out there, you're going to most likely suffer loss on that nitrogen. Also, when I look at an 8 CEC, we don't, I don't know if we even have anything left on our farm that's an 8 CEC. I think everything's 10 or above. But anyway, here's my point. In a dry year, non-irrigated, how good's that 8 CEC going to do yield-wise? It's going to stink. Okay, it's going to stink. So I'm not saying don't spend any money there, but you have to be careful about what you're doing. So on ground like that, on our farm, we're cutting her back to maybe 18,000 plants per acre on corn. Whereas that 30 CEC, we might be running 35,000 plants per acre on corn. So I'm just saying variable rate with that variable ground would most likely pay. Go ahead. Okay.
0: Now here's the other thing. This is the one that kind of concerned me. I was wondering if I was even looking at the right soil samples here, but Mike said he's considering uh, putting a, or he's planning on having some lime put on with variable rate. I only saw one of the tests. That had a pH that would justify any lime application. Is, this, is yeah. the calcium percentage high in all of them or not? Calcium
1: percentage is just fine. Yeah, there's no need for lime in this field whatsoever. Yeah, there's no but, shot of
0: you putting on lime. No, there's I'll, one spot yes, that I'll, was a 5.6
1: pH. And that was that really light ground. So, yes, you could put a tiny but little bit you don't bit need on. much. No. When it's 8 CEC, you need a, I like to call it a splash of lime. Yeah. Just not much at all. Very, very,
0: very little. Yeah, so you want to be really careful, Mike, that you don't overapply lime. It might be yep. something to even do some pelletized lime at a low rate,
2: just, just in that, in that spot.
0: one spot. Yep. Uh, okay, the other thing you he said, he's also considering having some P&K put on this fall, variable great. rate. Great. Uh, what do you think about that? And if great. he does do some lime, uh, they're recommending Please he don't. waits at least a week in between. Well, we would just say don't do the lime, Mike. Nope. Just, but if you want to do some P&K, you sure can, and variable rate great. sounds like an awesome idea.
1: Yes, His phosphorus levels, I'd call them medium to low. Uh, His potassium levels, I would call them low. So, I mean, he's got one spot where his K is good. He's got one spot where I'd say I could probably live with his phosphorus levels. So, you know, and and by the way, the K, 5.5% on one sample. Everything else is below 4% on the base saturation test. And in terms of phosphorus, the P1 or weak bray test, he's only got one sample that's above 50 at 52. So, I mean, even there, that's not enough for me, but, you know, some people will try to get by with 52 pounds of phosphorus. just depends on what your your yield goal is.
0: Hey, thanks for the questions, Mike. If you've got any others, please send them to us. We'd appreciate that. Uh, After the break, we're going to get into Joel from Oregon's email. He's got some late kochia he needs some help with. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio
3: if you've ever wondered how the farmall got its name here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the case ih farmall can do baling cutting hay feeding hauling loading pulling raking cleaning barn mixing feed fertilizing mowing chopping seeding clearing irrigating furrowing cultivating hitching digging emergency tow harrowing hoisting leading parades excavating grading let's make it simple this tractor does it all so no matter what you're doing can do comes in red farmall learn more at caseih.com
0: farmall ag PhD has one mission to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful that's why every issue of the ag PhD insider magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips insights into the world's highest yielding farmers updates and results from our in-field research trials as well as the latest agronomy information from brian and darren hefty we put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPHD Insider at agphdinsider.com.
3: Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more.
0: Welcome back to the Saint to Ag PhD Radio, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44 AG PhD. You can also email us like Joel from Oregon did. It's radio at agphd.com. And Joel is in eastern Oregon. He said, last few years we've been fighting a late flush of kochia in both our spring and fall wheat. Our fields are clean until around the 4th of July when we get hot. And then this late flush seems to come out of nowhere, and we're wondering what to spray. By that time, we're typically at milk to soft dough stage, so we're late. Our current herbicide program is Zidua and Sharpen Pre. So that sounds like good choices, Pre. And then post.
1: Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so Zidua, we get really concerned when you say Pre. That can mean different things to certain people. What we need with Zidua, if it's going to get used at all in wheat, is a very late pre, like literally right before, like the day or two before the wheat's going to pop out of the ground. The wheat has to be germinated. It has to have a shoot pointed upwards. So you got to be careful with that Zidua timing. Otherwise, you can use it very early post. So anyway, continue on, and okay, then I'll tell you what and I And
0: Sharpen's just fine. We really like Sharpen. And here's the thing with Sharpen. Sometimes, Brian, we hear guys saying, well, I'm just using an ounce because it's kind of expensive. Exactly. But but you really need to use a higher rate yep, than
1: that. Yep, you got to use two ounces. So that's my guess is he may not be using two ounces. Anyway, go ahead.
0: Okay, and then post-emerge, Gold Sky, well, depending on weed pressure, their choices that they've been using are Gold Sky, Affinity, Broad Spec, Starane, LV Six. So, of those products, are some of them good choices for Kosha? And are there better choices that they could use? Well, there's
1: only one that's going to have any activity on the Kosha, and that's starring, and that has zero residual. So, I, I mean, you can certainly do it. Um, you can use starring, You can use Wide Match, which is Starane. Uh, I mean, has starring in it, and along with Stinger. Otherwise. I like Wide R Match because that's got Starring Stinger plus the new Elevore, which is basically like a 240 d replacement. So that'll give you a little bit more activity. The thing is, I'll be honest, I actually kind of, if I could do like a Husky FX, I would prefer that. So what we're talking about there is Husky plus Starring. Now the Bucktrail component of Husky isn't going to do a lot uh, I mean, it, it's going to it's gonna help you on kosher some, but it's not going to be the greatest and it has no residual. But the HPPD component in there, so if you've used in, like for any of our listeners who have used an HPPD in corn, you know what I'm talking about. Like a Callisto, Laudis, Impact, Armazon, any of those kind of things. In Husky, there's an HPPD that has decent residual. Now, you have to be careful about what you're rotating to, and out west, I don't know what he's going to rotate to. But I'm just saying, if it was me, rather than going straight starane, I, I or Affinity, or especially LV6, I don't like LV6 on weed at all, I would consider... Husky FX, because now not only do you have that burn down of starring in there, you've got the HVPD component of the Husky that's going to give you some residual for later in the season. The other thing that I would say is absolutely make sure we're at two ounces of Sharpen. Now, Sharpen has to be applied before the wheat comes up. With that Zidua, if you want to use either straight Zidua or Anthem Flex, a lot of people use Anthem Flex because it's got some aim in there too. That's a good burn down product, no residual. Um, And it's a little bit cheaper sometimes in Zidua, depending on your your dealer. But anyway, Anthem Flex or Zidua, both contain Zidua. I would use that very early post. So the later you can use that, then the longer that residual is going to last. So I know I've now said three timings here. Sharpen pre, Zidua very, very early post, and Husky FX a little bit later on. But if you said, look, I got to get this kosh under control in wheat, what do I need to do? That would be my suggestion. In a normal situation, I'm usually just going to tell you, hey, use Sharpen pre, use Husky FX post, problem solved.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that, Joel. Yeah, kochia is a tough weed. No doubt about that. Got a lot more questions about kochia lately as well. It's getting, getting to be even tougher in some, some rotations. All right. I got this one that came in from Jared and he said, I finally got my uncle after five years (laughs) to allow me to sample the farm on one acre grids to see what variability we got and, and get our first results back here Just wondering about what your thoughts are. Hopefully they're close to ours. You've been listening to your podcast now for five years at least. Uh, The the Soils app was dead easy to use once the portal was set up via the Internet. And I especially appreciated the ability to edit or correct points dropped by mistake or rather because one did not get dropped. Uh, okay, so Jared's just wondering what we think about this soil analysis. And just looking through, Brian, there's, there's a few things just right in the base saturations that, that I look at that, that could be points. Magnesium was pretty low. Uh, potassium was mostly in the twos. Magnesium was single digits. And we'd like to see at least 10 on magnesium. And so there's, there's some things to, to go after right there.
1: Yeah, okay, so I, I, it's really hard to read on what you gave me here, so I'm going to see if I can pull that up on okay, the computer. Okay, Jared. Okay, it, no, it came, I, got it, I got it pulled up. Okay. All right, so let's see. It came uh, the, really small, and in the yeah.
0: printout that Janelle did, I think she's doing it just to challenge us a little bit to see how good we are. Well, I can
1: read it. It's just, I, I mean, when I'm trying, it's hard when I'm trying to jump back and forth quickly. But, yeah, it was ridiculously small. Anyway, so soil, P, I, I just say almost everything out there is variable. So we got a lot of high, a lot of low, and so it's all over the place. So pH, yeah, there's a bunch in the fives. Got to get lime out there. We've got phosphorus levels from basically 30 to 120. So again, really variable. Stuff where I got 120, uh, I'm going to save the money this year. Why why spend the money when phosphorus is at a really, really high price? Uh, With soil potassium, I've only got one spot that I would actually call good. Well, a couple of spots I'd call good. We want that 4% or higher all the time. So if you can do that, that's great. And here's the other kicker with that. He's got low CEC, 11 or less, which means you're not going to hold a lot of anything. So like when we start talking potassium, we are talking two things. Number one, we want the base saturation K over four and two, we've got to have enough potassium out there in terms of parts per million or pounds per acre, or however you want to look at it to raise a great crop. Okay. So let me just pull this up real quick and then, and I'll, I'll show you what I'm talking about. Okay. So if I, I if hopefully on your phone, you have the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app. If you don't just download it, it's a free app. I just plugged in 300 bushel corn. So on our farm, I'm shooting for 300 bushel corn. Okay. 300 bushel corn requires 405 pounds of K2O potassium, 405. Okay. So I got 405 there. Now, what he's got, on average, I'm just I'm going to take the average. On his farm, on average, he has, let's see, 195 parts per million. Okay, so if I take 195, and then I'm going to multiply that times 2. That gives me 390 pounds of potassium. Now, if I take that number times 1.2, that gives me K2O potassium. Okay, so here's, here's where I'm going with this. He's got 468 pounds of K2O potassium sitting out there today. 300 bushel corn requires 405 pounds of K2O potassium. Um, There's no possible chance we're going to pull 90% of a soil's potassium out, okay? or in this case, 86.5%. So potassium needs to be added. And quite frankly, every single year, every single crop, I'm going to add some potassium on that type of soil because it's light ground. So anytime we have light ground, I'm thinking about nitrogen, sulfur, and boron for sure, and he definitely needs to fertilize with all of those. But I'm also thinking about, because it's so light, I'm I'm thinking about potassium every year. Because potassium in a heavy soil like mine that freezes four or five months out of the year with very little rainfall, we're never going to lose our K. But in that kind of lighter soil there's a decent chance you're going to lose at least a little bit of your potassium each year. It's going to uh, leach a little bit, so make sure that you're putting some out there. So anyway, uh, yeah, and he just said uh, he was going to put some potash out, uh, base saturation. He said magnesium issues will be corrected by lime and gypsum. Uh, Yes, it's just when you have a lighter soil, a lot of soil changes can occur quickly and easily, and it doesn't take much to change any ratios or anything like that, because your soil just doesn't hold a lot. So anyway, yeah, I, th- I think with what he listed down, he's certainly on the right track. Just don't forget about some of the micronutrients as well. So zinc was low, copper's low, borons low, things like that.
0: All right. Thanks for the questions and good luck to you here as you get going on on fixing things up and doing a lot of variable right across the farm. Hey, one, thing, one other question that came in, this came from Monty. Uh, you guys are talking about field bindweed as a Weed of the Week. I'm just wondering, could bindweed be tilled into sandy dirt to enrich the soil? Alternatively, could it be used as ground cover for erosion control, green manure yes, or compost?
1: Yes. Yes and yes. Weeds actually can be cover crops too. So we don't give them much credit for that and part of the reason is we just don't want anything to go to seed and lead to problems in the future.
0: Yeah, I think I'd pick a different one than that one, though, because when you want to get rid of it, <laughs>
1: right? as you right.
0: heard in our Weed of the Week segment, that's a tough one to get rid of sometimes. Hey, thanks for the feedback, Monty. Really appreciate that. Thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.